Mountain, The Quest for a Moral Life, New York Times writer and commentator David Brooks writes about the loneliness crisis. Here's what he says. 38% of Americans over 45 are chronically lonely. Only 8% of Americans report having important conversations with their neighbors in a given year. Researchers in Britain asked pastors to describe the most common issue they face with their parishioners. 76% said loneliness and mental health. Former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy wrote in the Harvard Business Review, During my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease nor diabetes. It was loneliness. Brooks continues, the psychological, social, and moral toll caused by this detachment, or loneliness, is horrific. Since 1999, the U.S. suicide rate has risen by 30%. The plague hit the young hard. Between 2006 and 2016, suicide rates for those between age 10 and 17 rose by 70 Seven zero percent. Roughly 45,000 Americans kill themselves every year, and suicide is largely a proxy for loneliness. Wow. So how might we, as servants of Christ, help others combat loneliness? The scriptural answer is without question by offering hospitality. Paul writes to the church in Rome, extend hospitality to strangers. And you heard from our call to worship from the writer of the letter to the Hebrews, the very same admonition. And a biblical example of hospitality is found in Genesis chapter 18. In recognition that the biblical environment is often harsh, that villages in those ancient times had no Motel 6, and that food scarcity was common, showing hospitality was a cultural mandate in the ancient Middle East. Now, to set this text in in context, in chapter 15, Abraham complained that he remained childless, and God responded by promising that his descendants would be as numerous as stars in the night sky. But still, he and Sarah were very old. She's way past menopausal age, or she's postmenopausal, And so, in chapter 16, she loses patience, and in order to provide Abraham with an heir, she proposes that he sleep with her maid, Hagar the Egyptian, her slave girl, and thus produce a child and an heir in that manner. Abraham consented to the plan, and Hagar conceived and gave birth to a son, Ishmael. However, all was not peace and light in their household Hagar became arrogant and proud and difficult for Sarah to deal with because she had successfully provided Abram an heir. And so Sarah cruelly exiled her from her household and village. So with that introduction, Chuck is going to read our text, Genesis 18, 1 through 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mimre, as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. 
Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread so that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened to the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, oh yes, you did laugh. This text is filled with mystery. It tells us that God Almighty appeared to Abram in Hebron in the form of three strangers, but we're not told exactly how. Are they three angelic beings or is one? I mean, it's confusing. But in any case, God is present with these three strangers who suddenly came, come into view to Abram when he's sitting in his tent in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, good time not to be out doing manual labor. And so he runs to greet them, he bows profusely, welcoming them, and invites them to stop to uh, wash their feet, rest, and then have a simple meal. He says, a little bread. In the words of Gerhard von Rod, German Old Testament scholar, the meal preparations greatly exceed the modest offer. Did you notice that? Of a little bread. Because Abraham provided his guests with water for, first for foot washing. They rest under the tree, and with the help of his wife, Sarah, they provide these strangers a feast on pretty short notice. But it was going to take some hours to prepare this feast, friends. They have to slaughter a lamb for one thing and dress it and cook it. And they make flatbread, curds, milk. So it's a, it's a veritable feast, Middle Eastern feast. So the, these guests are reclining, resting for a good part of the day before Abram and Sarah serve them this wonderful meal. And while the strangers ate, did you notice what the text said? Abram is standing by like the head waiter. You know, is everything to your liking, sir? You know, how's the, how's the lamb tonight? Uh, wow. And you wonder, I wonder, did he do this every, with every guest? Wow, what a, I, I want to go buy that house. 
Well, during Abraham's time with these three strangers, they obviously know all about Abraham and Sarah because they simply bring up a conversation that they had no way of knowing about, that God had made a promise to Abraham and Sarah they would have many descendants, which requires at least an heir, a male heir. And uh, overhearing that conversation with strangers, Sarah laughed to herself, comments sarcastically, oh yeah, after I've grown old, my husband's old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord, speaking through one of the strangers, asked Abraham, why does Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child? And the angel comments, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you, and in due season, Sarah shall have a son. And of course, the ironic thing is Sarah laughs, as did Abraham earlier in the narrative, about the thought of them being parents at such an old age. I mean, how many of you who are grandparents or great-grandparents now have ever contemplated becoming parents again? Wow! There's a reason why people are young when they bear children. Anyway, so the ironic thing is, of course, they do bear a child. Sarah does bear Abraham a child, and his name, appropriately, is Isaac, the one who laughs. So God has the last laugh. So in this story... Through his three angels or whatever, God reiterates to Abraham and Sarah the promise that they will together produce a son and heir. So Abraham's act of hospitality brings about this conversation and renewed covenant promise and assurance to them both, which is really, really important. So an example of biblical hospitality. A second example which commends hospitality is found in Luke's resurrection narrative in chapter 24. And I'll try to briefly summarize it. It's Easter Sunday afternoon. Two disciples are walking from Jerusalem back to their hometown in Emmaus, a seven-mile journey, Luke tells us. And they have, they're processing right now these disparate elements of grief because their friend and master Jesus, who they had hoped would be the one to redeem Israel, hoped was the Messiah, had been crucified the day before. And now um, their friends, women, and Peter had discovered that the tomb in which Jesus was placed is empty. So they're trying to process this. They're in grief and just wondering, and they're talking about those issues when a stranger joins them. And why they don't recognize the stranger is, in fact, the risen Christ, Luke doesn't tell us. Jesus plays ignorant at first. The two disciples share the recent news about the crucifixion and and the empty tomb, and then Jesus sort of, after listening, he's a good listener first, then he sort of takes over the conversation and rebukes them for believing, for not believing, sorry, all that the Hebrew prophets had said about the coming Messiah. And then he leads a Bible study with them, I'm sure from memory, citing various passages which referred to his death and resurrection. And here's where the offer of hospitality comes in. When they reach Emmaus, Jesus pretends like he's going further. And they have to compel him to stay with them and be their house guest, and a guest which includes uh, the dinner meal. So they really have to persuade him. So Jesus went in, became their guest, and only because of that act of hospitality, at the meal, do they discover that the stranger is in fact 
the risen Christ, confirming their faith in Jesus as Messiah. They did not hope in vain, believing he was the one to redeem Israel and all humankind he was. And he's the first to be resurrected from death. Well, friends, in both these examples, and I'm not promising this is a, an absolute certainty, but when these biblical characters offer hospitality, they get tremendous benefit in terms of their relationship with God. Abraham and Sarah have the covenant promise renewed and confirmed and reinforced, and they have hope. And these two disciples in deep grief have their faith in Jesus confirmed as well. Now, that may not be universal. In their book, The Missional Leader, church experts Alan Roxborough and Fred Romanek write, hospitality is an ancient church practice whose purpose has been largely forgotten. Hospitality is not an evangelism strategy per se, but a genuine and complete welcoming of the stranger, involving all that it meant in ancient Middle Eastern cultures. Today, the stranger can be the person next door, the widow whose children live far away, or many young people who crave conversation and acceptance from an older generation. In a culture as isolating and fragmenting as our own, people are strangers to one another, what David Brooks told us earlier in the message today. And I think we all know that. We live in an increasingly isolated era. Don't some of you, or didn't some of you, either currently or previously, commute to work and you don't see neighbors much because you press, you get in your car, in your garage, and you click and you open it up and you drive to work and you come back and you click and you shut the garage door and you're not even visible in the front yard. Now, maybe some of you don't park your cars in the garage, but, uh, you know, we just, we just do what's necessary and, and often there's not lots of um, openness to conversation with others, with our neighbors. Now, hospitality isn't confined to caring for strangers. What about your near neighbors? What about taking advantage of opportunities, using hospitality to share Christ's love with those who live near you? And what about people you don't know personally, but you've met? How might you reach out to some of them with Christian hospitality? Dale and, and Colleen recently led um, Mike Carreras's memorial service, and for those of you who weren't here, I noticed that many of his and Patty's neighbors not only attended a service, I mean, it was a wonderfully attended service, and a whole phalanx of neighbors were there, but when there was an opportunity to share it, many of them, a number of them, like half a dozen or more, stood up and shared heartfelt memories about what a caring friend and neighbor Mike was. And I was thinking to myself, when I talked to Popey afterwards, we were both thinking to ourselves, oh my gosh, we feel so indicted. I don't even know the names of all my neighbors. Think about yourself. For just a minute, I like to challenge. Think about your house and think about like three houses to the left, three, anyway, right or left. Anyway, think about three houses either side of you and the people across the street. Do you know the names of all those people? I don't. Anyway, Mike and Patty did. They do. Wow. And they have established caring relationships with many of them. Wow, that's a big challenge for me. And Lisa and I recently attended a surprise golden wedding anniversary celebration for who, two dear friends who were part of the congregation that I served in Novato. Bruce and Anne have a very close-knit family, two adult children, son Brooke, 
daughter, Bethany, and now they have eight grandchildren. And when I arrived as the new pastor there 23 years ago, I'd been divorced for a couple years, and, and Lisa and I were dating and getting pretty serious, but we hadn't married. And Ann and Bruce, knowing I was a bad cook, great cleaner-upper, but a lousy cook, invited me to dinner each week on a certain night. I think it was Monday night. Anyway, making me feel like I had a family right there in Novato. And that ongoing act of hospitality, always, I always feel connected to them, always. Now, what was unexpected during this 50th wedding anniversary celebration was that a number of Brooklyn Bethany's childhood friends went to the podium in this, in this really nice venue to share through both laughter and tears that they considered Bruce and Anne a second set of parents. In fact, many of them said, you know, I felt more loved by Bruce and Anne than my own mom and dad. Wow. It was very moving. Time after time, these 40-something-year-old men and women, parents themselves, shared how deeply loved Bruce and Anne made them feel. How did they do it? by acts of hospitality, by hosting these kids for countless meals, countless overnights, and occasionally for holidays as well. Here's just one example. A typical Thanksgiving at the Staley home in their modest-sized house, it's not a McMansion, they have sometimes 50 people. They don't want to leave anybody out who might feel lonely. Now, what was it that made Bruce and Ann in their home a magnet for so many of Brooke and Bethany's friends and made such a deep and lasting impression on them as adults. Simply the unconditional love they experienced, the acts of Christian hospitality. Now, maybe you don't think, and I I don't think I could duplicate the hospitality of Mike and Patty or Bruce and Ann, but, you know, hey, that may be their gift. They may be in a class by themselves. However, that doesn't leave the rest of us off the hook. Aren't there ways that through acts of hospitality we each could reach out to people we don't know well to share the love of Christ? I'm confident there are. Hospitality is about making room in our lives and in our homes for people we classify as strangers. Here's just a couple, for instances, or a couple things for you to think about. Think about, this would take some courage, inviting a group of your neighbors to a dinner. Such an act of hospitality could potentially lead to conversations about life experiences and beliefs. People outside ours in every church are often lonely and feel lots of stress with our rapidly changing and unpredictably changing lives and have few safe places to share their thoughts and feelings. What's disarming about showing hospitality is the agenda is really simple. It's kind of like Stephen's ministry. The agenda is simply to listen well while providing a simple meal. Now, here's another opportunity you have, an opportunity to host an international student for just a single meal. It's a wonderful way to express Christian hospitality. This fall, I'm told, 45 new foreign students will be studying at nearby Santa Rosa Junior College. 24 have already expressed interest in being the guest of an individual or family from the local community. So if you would commit to just hosting a student for just a meal, and you can even take them to a restaurant if you wanted. Although I think it'd be neat if they saw your home, if they learned how this American lives. If you're interested in, in doing that, simply phone Paula Umina 
or Jan Thomas or sign up at the Welcome Center today just to host one foreign student for one meal. That's something I think we all could do. Friends, showing hospitality to others, sharing Christ's compassion in the form of a listening ear and a meal is something that we could all do if we chose to do so. May we as a church family be those through whom others experience the love of Christ. Amen.